to do this job, you've got to be tough. There ain't no room for whiners here. There's no sleeping on this job. You take a break for a second, and the whole world goes to heck. If you thought the Navy SEALs were tough, my friend, you haven't seen anything yet. Because these elite leaders are in a perpetual battle every day. This job is one of the most important jobs in life or ministry today. Because they're raising the next generation. And friend, what could be more important than that? subway, at the grocery store, at the park, or sitting next to you at your church, whether in active duty or not, kindly hand them a box of chocolates and some flowers, and thank them for the wonderful job that they are doing, because these mothers are raising some of the most important public figures, leaders, apostles, prophets, preachers, teachers, evangelists, fathers and mothers to come. And in the last days, we need the best of the best to take a stand against the armies of darkness. So support these mothers, and thank these mothers, and encourage them in their role as the ones who educate and teach these future heroes in the faith. mother we give her a high five tell her she's doing a good job whether you're in active duty or non-active duty okay psalm 127 verse 3 to 5 says children are a gift from the lord they are reward from him children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hand how joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them he will not be put to shame when he confronts his accusers at the city gates. Now, let me tell you, in Bible times, they did not have arrow factories. You didn't go to Walmart and buy arrows. The warriors themselves handcrafted those arrows. They took the flint, the stone, the, the metal, whatever, and they handcrafted it. And they had to make sure that the point was exact, that it was balanced, they had different sizes of arrows, but why did they have to make an arrow? To hit the target, to get their food, to hit the enemy. And they had to make sure their lives depended on the handcraft arrows. And here the psalmist is saying, our children are like handcrafted arrows. We don't give birth and just let them go. It is our responsibility to handcraft our kids. And it has to start, I would say, even before they are born. Start praying over our children. And then when they come, start purposely dedicating them to God and training them in his ways. Now, I am so honored today to have my mother here. She's sitting right over here. Her name's Doris. There's actually four kids in our family. My younger sister, Nancy, wasn't around then. Uh, I'm the one with the really cool cat glasses. <laughs> uh, my parents were pastors and missionaries. 
And literally, I cut my teeth on church pews. From the time I was born, we were in the house of God. And I credit my mom in discipling me. It's what she imparted into me that has made me the person that I have become. It is what she taught us from the cradle. You know, she would have family, the whole family. But she would, I remember her having a devotional book that she would read with us when I was a toddler. And she taught us so many things about the Word of God. And she and my father involved us children in ministry. My brother started playing piano for worship when he was, what, 10 years old? I started teaching Sunday school when I was 12. So I've been in it for 42 years. And if you do the math, that's 39. Okay? (laughs) Just so we're all clear on that. Okay? So I honor my mom because she passed down a legacy. She passed down the importance of knowing God and knowing his word. And she lived it out. Matter of fact, I'm I'm still so proud of my mom. I know I'm embarrassing her, but she studies the Word of God. Don't ever get involved in a game of Bible trivia with her. You will lose, guaranteed. She studies the Word of God. She holds Bible study at the assisted living place where she lives. She is still active in discipling people. And it's a legacy that she has passed down to me. And I pray that I pass that down to my children and my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren. I have three grown kids. Jennifer is 32. She's married. She lives in Tulsa, has the prettiest, cutest little grandson in the whole wide world, who's almost two. I have a son, Andy, who's married. Most of you know him. He was a youth pastor here until he moved to Florida. And I have a son named Ryan who lives in Nashville. And I'm so proud of my kids. Yes, uh, Alan was reminding me last week, Ryan ran his first marathon and completed it. And it was a monumental point in his life because he said, I didn't know that I could complete something. And he just, he ran, he ran in four hours and 26 minutes. We were so proud. We were so proud. God wants us to pass down a legacy. Now, I have a feeling that there may be some people here that are saying, well, I'm not a mom, or I've already raised my kids. Thank God that's over with. (laughs) Or, you know, I'm a man. This is Mother's Day, so I'm checking out. Let me tell you, God has called us to be spiritual moms and dads. That's also known as disciple makers. So if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, your job is not over. Matter of fact, in the book of Psalms, Psalm 71:18, Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. So if you've then raised your kids, your job's still not over. There is no retirement in the kingdom of God. You still have people that you need to influence and help and protect and mentor. Now, I was, while I was praying for this message today, I really felt like the Lord said, talk about Hezekiah. So I'm going to give you a little background to Hezekiah. See, there were two kingdoms, Israel and Judah. There was a big split. Israel had all bad kings. Judah had a good king, a bad king, a good king, a bad king. Every other one seemed to be good. Every other one seemed to be bad. 
So Hezekiah became king. His dad, Ahaz, was evil. The Bible says he was evil and did abominable things in the sight of God. Hezekiah becomes king at age 25. Now you would think with such a bad background, Hezekiah would have been a bad king. But the Bible says he loved the Lord with all his heart. He reinstituted temple worship. He got rid of the idols. He got rid of the high places. He reinstituted the Passover. He won the battle against the Philistines, the arch enemies of Judah. He even won against the king of Assyria, or actually God won the war through that king. So right in the middle of his reign, Hezekiah becomes deathly ill. And he is on his deathbed. And he cries out to God for healing. God sends Isaiah the prophet to Hezekiah and tells him, God has heard your prayer and he is going to heal you. He's going to give you 15 more years to live. Now, I don't know about you. I don't think I want to know how much longer I have to live. Some people do. But I don't know. I'd rather be surprised, I guess. But Hezekiah, on his deathbed, when he received that news, Isaiah said, what kind of sign do you want to know that God's going to heal you within three days? And Hezekiah was looking at the shadow coming on the stairs of his, his upper room and how it was getting darker and darker. And he said, you know, I'd like to see the shadow go up ten steps instead of down ten steps. And miracle upon miracles, the sun went backwards. The shadows went backwards. So Hezekiah, not only did he, not only did he have a miracle of healing, not only did he see God perform this miracle in nature, but he knew the power of God. Well, while he was on his deathbed, word went out to all the countries around that he was dying. So the king of Babylon sent his son and some other representatives to come to Hezekiah and bring him gifts. By the time they got there, Hezekiah was well. And so Hezekiah took him around and showed him all the gold, all the silver, all the treasury, showed him the temple, showed him the army, showed him the weapons, showed him everything. And then they left. And Isaiah came and he said, what did you do? And you find this in 2 Kings 20, verse 16 through 19. Then, Hezekiah, then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and all that your fathers have laid up in store to this day will be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. Some of your sons who shall issue from you, whom you will beget, will be taken away, and they will become officials in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, hmm, The word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. For he thought, Is it not so if there will be peace and truth in my days? Okay, what about that is good? You know, he showed his enemy, which he wasn't even aware was his enemy. He showed him everything he had. He allowed the enemy to come in and scope out everything he had. 
He didn't realize that the enemy was really plotting to come in and rob, steal, kill, and destroy his nation. And all he could think about was, I've got 15 more years to live. There's going to be peace while I'm reigning. As long as I don't have to deal with any more battles, it's all going to be good. But he fails to think of the next generation. You know, I think sometimes, unless we get hard on Hezekiah, we're no better off. Because we think, okay, I'm saved. (laughs) If Jesus comes back today, I'm up there. I'm going to heaven. Everything's cool. But in the meantime, the next generation is going to hell. And we have got to have the heart of God for the next generation. We cannot let go. Because I'll tell you, if this next generation of kids is not one to the Lord, in 15 years there will be no church. That is a bleak outlook. We have got to be disciple makers of the next generation. You know, he missed his greatest opportunity, which was a legacy, to pass it on down to his children. His son Manasseh became king. 12 years of age. So Manasseh was born after his healing. The Bible said uh, that Manasseh did abominable things. He brought back idol worship and temple prostitution. He brought back evil things. And he was evil in the sight of God. Now what was Hezekiah thinking? You see, in the Jewish culture... The boys are bar mitzvahed by the time they're 13. That's when they become officially the man. So from that time their age is 5, 6, somewhere in there, the parents start teaching them the Word of God and the Torah and all the commandments and what it is to be godly. So that by the time they become a man, then they are spiritually responsible for their own life. Hezekiah knew he had a limited time. But he did not train his son in the ways of God. Here's Hezekiah. He had been healed. That's a major event. Now his son might have heard about it, but there was a disconnect. And that father and the mother failed to prepare their child for the future. In the generations to come, Babylon did come and take over Judah. And they took the royal family. That's where Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that's how they ended up in Babylon. Devastation to the country of Judah. You know, we have an enemy too who wants to rob, steal, kill, and destroy our children. If he can get our seed, then he can win. If he can... Keep our children from having a viable, living relationship with God, then He wins. You who have children, your children are your most precious assets. You would do anything for your child. And I want you to think. What are we doing for the children of this next generation to prepare them for Jesus Christ? What do we have to do to protect our kids so that they will have a relationship with Jesus? 
statistically, if we don't reach this next generation, well, let me just share some of the statistics. 48% of all high school seniors have experienced sex. Half. Half of all kids. Along with that comes STDs, unwanted pregnancies, abortions, emotional scarring. 23% of these students, of all students, are using illegal drugs and at younger ages. Preteen drug use is on the rise. I work with preteens. Lord, help them. Births to unmarried women, 41%. Births to adolescent females, unmarried, 21.7%. Youths who've reported having five or more alcohol drinks in a two-week time period. Those are the ones that are reported. 18 to 25%. 19.3% of high school students have seriously considered killing themselves. 14% of high school students made actual plans for committing suicide. 900,000 youth planned their suicides during an episode of major depression. Almost a million kids. Cutting is on the rise. That's when a kid has so much pain on the inside, they want to cut themselves to relieve the pain. If we do not intervene, we will lose the next generation. We have got to reach our kids. We have got to reach our kids. We have got to be the ones that step in and say, no more. We have got to go after our children. Our precious children are being influenced by Satan himself. And it's time for the body of Christ to rise up and be countercultural. Let me tell you, that's swimming upstream. That's hard work, but we have got to teach our children that peer pressure will only get them in trouble. And we have got to give them alternatives and be countercultural. We have got to set a purpose in our life that we will not participate or allow our children to participate in the norms of this world. But I want to tell you parents, the most important thing is don't give up. I'm going to say that one more time. Don't give up. Don't throw up your hands and say it's a worthless It'll never happen. Don't give up. God is calling us to push through for our kids. He's calling us to to go beyond and be above and beyond for our children. I shared with you that um, I have a son, Ryan, who's 27 years old. I'm so proud of him. Jennifer and Andy, if we had stopped with them, we would have thought we were perfect parents. You know, they they were... Very compliant. They were pretty easy. They did well in school. Hardly gave us any problems. You know, a little bit here and there. But God, in his humor, (laughs) said, I'm going to give you a bonus baby. Surprise! And Ryan came along. 
And Ryan's philosophy in life is it is better to ask forgiveness than permission. (laughs) And he pushed the edges of the envelope. And my heart, especially in his later teens, would break for this young man because he had so much potential. And I saw the rebellion he was going through. I saw his attitudes and some of the stuff he was getting involved in. And it scared me. Let me tell you, if you think your prayer life is good when they're little, it ups several notches when they get older. Yeah. So about nine or ten years ago, I was crying out for Ryan. And I was reading God's Word, and it was in 1 John 5, 14 and 15. I call this my white knuckle verse because I had to hold on to it until my knuckles were white. If I didn't, I thought, I thought I would die. And here's what it says. This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. So while I was reading this, I was thinking, okay, it is not God's will that my son be away from him. It is not God's will that my son get involved with people that are pulling him away from the Lord or that he gets involved with stuff that could harm himself. It is God's will that my son, who I birthed, will belong to him wholly and totally and completely. It is God's, God has a call on this young man's life. It is God's will that he follow the Lord. And so I started hanging on to that every time I'd hear he did something or every time he copped an attitude. It's like, God, I know you have a plan and a purpose for this young man, and I will not let go. I'm going to hold you to your promise because you cannot lie. And you said, if I pray according to your will, then you will do it. I am praying according to your will. Parents, there is no way that God wants your children out from under him. He wants your kids. And so if you pray over your children according to God's will, you better be sure God will answer it. Well, about two years ago, he started calling us every once in a while and said, Mom, Dad, will you pray for me? He started talking about some of the stuff he was going through. And I'm going, if you only do, kid, if you only do. And then a year, year and a half ago, when he called, he said, yeah, I really like the church I'm going to. And I'm going, Lord, did I hear him say he's going to church? And then a little, a few months later, he was talking about the Bible study he went to. And I'm going, thank you, Jesus. This summer, he's planning on going on his very first mission trip to Guatemala. Now, I would like to say that the moment I prayed that prayer, his life was changed. But it didn't happen like that. It happened nine, ten years. And the story's not over with him. But I'm telling you, don't give up. Because God has to keep his promise. He has to keep his promise. So when you pray for your kid, it doesn't matter if your kid is six years old, 16 years old, or 36 years old. You hold on to that prayer that God wants your child. He wants your child, and he will answer your prayer. As long as your child has breath in them, there's hope. 
And that's, if there's anything I want you to take away today, there is hope. There is hope. Don't ever, ever give up. So if you are not a parent, like I said, you're still not off the hook. I want you to look around. There are parents here that need your encouragement today. Just go ahead. Kind of look, scope the room out. There are parents who are going through heck. There are parents whose hearts have been broken and are grieving, and they need your encouragement today. If you're not walking in that right now, somebody else in this room does need it. And God is calling you to encourage them. If you are 21 years or younger, I'd like you to stand up, please. Go ahead, stand up. People are going to stare at you anyway. Stand up. All right, woohoo. Yeah, give them a hand. You may have a seat. Now, having said that, these young adults and children need you to speak into their lives. They need you to disciple them. They need you to encourage them. They need you to tell them, hey, this isn't right, but this is God's way. Or, hey, don't give up. I know you've been in a bad family situation, but God is here for you. I'm here for you. The Lord is calling you to be encouragers and to bring hope to the next generation. Now, how do we protect our children? Like I said, we have to be countercultural. But I think the first thing happens when you have to be real with your relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, I've, I've known over the years people who, who are churchgoers and are Christians, but they don't necessarily live it at home. You have got to be deliberate in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Demonstrate Jesus in everything you do. God is calling his people to be separate, to be countercultural, to be separate. Demonstrate Jesus in everything you do. Grab the teachable moments. And I was thinking about this. We moved to, to Granbury in 1989. Before that, we lived in Alito. We had bought a double-wide mobile home. And three months after we moved into it, we had outgrown it because I had then had Ryan. And it was tiny. And for years, we tried to get rid of that thing. And if any of you have ever owned a mobile home that you're trying to sell, you know what an albatross that could be around your neck. And we tried to get rid of that mobile home. We thought we had it sold. Actually, I had the whole house packed up. And we were ready to leave. Two days before we were ready to move, the whole deal fell through. And so I was in this really stinky mood. And we had friends that invited us to come to Granbury for July 4th. And while we were there, they were talking to Joe, and they said, you know, there's five acres over here. We think you ought to move your double-wide mobile home over here. And Joe was getting excited because he always wanted land. And I'm going over, no, no. No, no, no. We're getting rid of that mobile home. So after much debate, Joe and I decided we needed to spend a day fasting and praying and asking God to show us what to do. So we took a Monday and we fasted and prayed all day. 
knowing that when we came together, we would have the same answer. So we came together at the end of the day, and Joe felt God wanted us to move to Granbury, and I still felt that we were not supposed to. So we came up with this idea, which I know it was a God thing. If we, we were going to take our kids, we were going to go to Granbury, scope out the land, walk around, pray, and we are going to ask God for a sign. And the sign was going to be that while we were walking on the land, we would see a cottontail rabbit. So, on the way down here from Alito, Andy, who was second grade and was missing a couple teeth, he goes, so, if we see a jackrabbit, does it count? I said, no, no, it's got to be a cottontail rabbit. So, if we see a dead cottontail, does it count? No, it has to be a real live cottontail rabbit. So we are walking around the land, maybe 20 minutes. No rabbit. I am so excited. And finally I say, okay, guys, it is time to go. No rabbit. God does not want us in Granberry. Yay. And at that very moment, this little cottontail rabbit with the hugest cottontail ran two feet in front of Joe and the kids. Just went right in front. The kids are jumping up and down. God wants us in Granbury. God heard our prayers. I'm over God. What do you want me in Granbury? I was a pivotal point in their life because they realized it was a teachable moment. They realized that God was real, that God heard their prayers. And I'm telling you, parents, take those teachable moments to demonstrate God. Don't just speak out God. Involve them in knowing that God is real, that God hears prayers and answers prayers. Now, I may have scared some of you away from being parents with those statistics. Don't ever be scared because, again, your children are the greatest gift God can give you aside from salvation. But I want you to to also be encouraged in another thing. Like some of you, your kids have maybe they've gotten off the railroad track. They're, they're a train wreck. Well, you know what? The story's not over. The story is not over. Matter of fact, some of you are testimonies of former train wrecks that are now on course. Yeah. Some of you shouldn't even be here. Some of you should be dead or in prison. But God rescued you and redeemed you and brought you back. And so I'm telling you, don't ever give up. You are a testimony and you are a weapon against the enemy. Knowing God needs to be a lifestyle. And that's really what, what the heart of my prayer is today, is that when you are raising children, when you are ministering to others, live the lifestyle of God. Live and breathe it. Now, in a few minutes, we're going to have four families come up here because they have children that they want to dedicate to God. They are making a stand this day saying, my child that God has given me, I give back to him, and I'm going to promise to do everything I can in my power to raise this child in a godly home. I'm going to try everything in my power to set the course so that they are set up for success. 
And here are the five things that these people, these parents are going to be committing to this morning. First of all, make sure that you put God first in every area of your life. That means your business transaction, your daily walk, your entertainment, anything that you do, make sure you run it by God first. Put Him first in your life. You know, I want to warn families about getting caught in the debt trap because debt brings stress. Stress brings conflict in the home. Make sure that you get out of debt so that you will put God first in all your financial decisions. Keep your personal life in order. If you are married, do everything you can to stay married. Broken homes produce broken children. Now, sometimes it's unavoidable. But I'm telling you, if you are married, do everything you can to stay married. If you are not married, if you're a single parent, don't bring people into your life that you are not married to. Don't live with a person. That is outside of God's will. If you want to influence your child for the things of God, be married or stay single. Live a life that is pure and holy before God. The third thing is make good choices in relationships. Parents, I give you permission today to be your child's worst nightmare in guarding them against bad relationships. That may mean you have to take away their cell phone. That may mean you have to shut down their Facebook account. That may mean that you have to watch what they watch and hang out with the kids they hang out with. But I'm telling you, you better guard your kids because peer pressure will rob, steal, kill, and destroy your children. So parents, you make good choices in relationships. Don't have relationships with people who are going to bring you down and bring you away from the Lord to teach your children how to make good friends and guard those friendships. My, at my house growing up, we had the youth group at our house every Friday and Saturday night, Saturday night. I mean, my parents knew where we were, who we were hanging out with. And I'm telling you, know what your kids are doing. Guard them. Be what you want your child to be. Do you want your child to be strong spiritually? Be strong spiritually. Do you want your child to be compassionate? Be compassionate. Do you want your child to be respectful? Be respectful. Because they are going to emulate what they see. I worked in the elementary schools for several years. I always found it interesting on election years, we could always tell who was going to win the election. Because we would have voting in our school. And by a landslide, I mean, just right down to the nail, you could tell who was going to win the presidential election by our kids. Why? Well, my son Ryan went to school and spouted off why he didn't like a certain presidential candidate. Where did he learn it? That's right. Our kids are going to emulate. So be what you want your child to be. Do you want your child to be a giver? Be a giver. And finally, keep your word. 
How a child views God is directly related to how a child views you. If you promise to do something, follow through. If you promise that you do this one more time, I'm going to ground you, follow through. Be consistent. Be faithful. If, you know, be faithful in your commitments. Follow through because a child is going to view God. If you are abusive, the child is going to think that God is abusive. If you are kind, the child is going to think God is kind. So I want to call those four families to come up here now, if you would. We have the Jones family, the Nelson family, the Ellis family, and the Clayton family. If you would come on up. And we are going to need the handheld microphone. I don't know where that went. But if you'd all just kind of spread out across the front here. Thank you. Would you all give them a hand? They're making a decision today that is so valuable. In a moment, families, you're going to repeat a prayer of dedication. This isn't necessarily so much about your child right now. Is as it is about you and what you are committing to in raising your children. And then when we are done with that prayer, we're going to ask the elders and their wives to come up and pray over your child. And then we're going to ask when that is done, we want you to come over here. There's a little Bible and a certificate here with their name on it. And we want you to announce the name of the child you just dedicated to the Lord. Okay, parents, are you ready to pray this prayer? Uh, people, will you extend your hands to these parents? They need they need your support right now. And in a few minutes, when this is this will be the conclusion of the service. But I really do feel that there might be some parents here that need help today. There's a train wreck in your family, and you need help. We want to stay and pray with you. There may be some of you here. You are the train wreck, and God wants you to come back. And we're saying, you come on. Get your life right with the Lord. Okay, parents, are you ready? Repeat after me. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you today dedicating ourselves to you. We accept the responsibilities of godly parenting. I recognize that our child is a gift from you. So I commit myself to be a godly parent in word and deed. I commit myself to teach my child about Jesus. I will encourage and train my child to live a godly life. Thank you for helping me for being the leader my children need. I commit myself to you as I dedicate my child to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Elders, would you come on up, please?
Uh, we're praying for these families. I just want to encourage you to pray over them or pray with the person next to you. Elena Maria Clayton. And this is Brandon Clayton. Isaiah Ethan.
Lord, we thank you for the, each of these children. We pray, Lord, for health and long life and fruitfulness in their lives spiritually, physically, academically, in every way. We pray, Lord, for wisdom for each mother and each father and how to maintain health in their marriage while at the same time parenting healthy children. Give them balance, Lord, and insight into how to minister to their child based on the way you made that young person. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Laura, for bringing us the word. Wow. Man. Who would agree she needs to preach here more often? (laughs) Definitely. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that this word would bear fruit in our hearts. We pray, Lord, for those parents who are hurting today. That, Lord, they would be uh, revived in the call to pray for their offspring. Lord, may they remember and never forget that they have a position of authority in prayer that no one else has when it comes to praying for their children. And so, Lord, we pray for you to encourage those who are hurting today and use us as a body, Lord, to be encouraged in encouragement to those who are hurting. In Jesus' name, God, we thank you that the story is not over. The story is not over. This is just, this is just a chapter that's going to make the next chapter glorious. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your grace. Pray, Lord, for your blessing upon every mother and mother-to-be in this house, God, that we would walk in your will and in your ways and that we would never stop ministering on the basis of the need to reach the next generation as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.